Uh, we're just going to go ahead and get started tonight. Um, I asked Cor if we could not have the music because um, we've got a lot of stuff to cover and we've got a short time to do it. So, uh, welcome tonight. And we've got some folks, I think, tuning in on live stream, and we're grateful for that. Um, I just want to begin with a word of prayer, and then we're just going to jump right into it and so that we can get done by 6.30, okay? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for those folks that have come tonight to uh, learn a little bit more about your word and about how to read your word better. I pray that tonight, once again, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you'd be the one that we hear from most, that there would be more than my voice, but Father, I pray for your spirit to speak to us clearly, help us to better understand Teach us, Lord, uh, more about your word. And I pray that as I teach tonight, I would represent you. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get into the subject tonight, let me remind you of the schedule coming up. This is our last this, our last class in Unit 1 of How to Read Your Bible Like a Seminary Student. Uh, this has been five weeks of kind of intensive study, and that's just Unit 1. We're going to be taking a break after tonight. So next Sunday night, we will not have Sunday night services. It's Valentine's night. And then the next Sunday, February 21st, we will have Sunday night Bible studies, but it will be a men's Bible study and a women's Bible study. Uh, Brad Barden will be leading the men's Bible study. Robin McDonald will be leading the women's Bible study. And that will be for six weeks. So the next time we come back to this course, if you will, to this subject, uh, we'll come back on, Lord willing, on April the 11th. And we will begin Unit 2 of how to read your Bible like a seminary student. And I've decided that's our best course of action because the material that we're going to be dealing with, I think you're going to absorb it more if you take it in chunks rather than try to run through the entire thing rather quickly. And so in an effort to help you absorb it more and use it more, uh, then we've decided to break this up into at least two units. If we need to make a third unit, we'll do that. Uh, but my desire is just to help you learn how to read the Bible better as a seminary student would. So, that's kind of where we're heading over the next few weeks. Now, last week, if you were here, if you'll remember, we, we were looking at some strategies for improving your Bible reading. We talked about that last week. And basically, last week, what we were digging into was the process of observation or the work of observation. And just as a reminder, uh, I noted last week that as we were making observations, I don't know if you remember this, but I noted last week uh, that Jesus spent a lot of time around the lake, around the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember that? And, and I was talking about how, you know, there's many references through the Gospel of Mark, again and again, and in four, five, six, seven different references at least, where Jesus was near the lake, around the lake, on the lake, and I told you that uh, I was going to go home and make a case to my wife using that text that we need to get a boat. It didn't work. So when we got home, the lady I married from Maryland, uh, when, when we got home, the lady I married from Maryland with a smile said, now let's get one thing straight. 
She said, Jesus never owned a boat. He used his friend's boat. She got me. I'll tell you what, I think she's better at Bible interpretation than I am. Tonight, we're going to continue that, that work of trying to interpret the Bible. So tonight, we're going to be looking at the crucial and often misunderstood process of biblical interpretation. And I will tell you that tonight, we're beginning to wade into the deep water. I keep telling you we're heading there. We're beginning to wade into the deep water tonight. Uh, you know, when you're wading into a pool and you're going where it's deeper and deeper, eventually your feet leave, leave the floor of the pool and you're in over your head. We're not there yet. We're not getting there yet. But we're probably getting up to four or five feet tonight, okay? So just kind of let you know where, we're, where we are and where we're heading. Uh, l- let me remind you that I am using the book, How to Read Your Bible Like a Seminary Professor, as my primary source. And I try to state that from time to time. I want to make sure that, that I put that out there. Uh, we've changed the title to How to Read Your Bible Like a Seminary Student. So I want to start with a couple of basic questions as we talk about interpretation. First of all, is the most basic question of all, what is interpretation? What is interpretation? Peter Vercruz, in a book called Building Blocks for Bible Study, said this. He said, interpretation is the act of building a bridge between the word of the past and the world of the present. Now hear that again. I, I thought that was such a great illustration. He said, interpretation is is the act of building a bridge between the word of the past and the world of the present. Let me explain it to you this way. We use, we use observation to gather information. That's what observation is all about, trying to gather information. But we use interpretation for the process of determining how to use that information. Why is this information meaningful? That's why we use interpretation. Not just understanding what the Bible says, but also what the Bible means. You see, your goal in in interpretation is not just to see what does the Bible say, but what does the Bible mean. Let me remind you, we've already covered this, but let me remind you, in observation, you ask and answer the question, what do I see? That's observation. Interpretation, you ask and answer the question, what does it mean? Now, let me illustrate this, biblical, uh, interp- this act of biblical interpretation as we look at Acts chapter 8. Would you open God's word with me to Acts chapter 8? Give you just one illustration of biblical interpretation. Acts chapter 8. Philip the evangelist was instructed by the Lord in Acts chapter 8 to keep a divine appointment with an official from Ethiopia. We read about that in Acts chapter 8 verse 26 and following, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chair reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now talk to me for a minute. What is this Ethiopian reading? What scripture? Isaiah the prophet. He's actually, we'll see in a moment, he's actually reading Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. Now watch what happens. Verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Watch what he does here. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Interesting. Note this man had the scriptures in his hand, but he needed help understanding what was in his hand. He was able to read the words. It's not the words he was having problems with. He was able to read the words, but trying to understand what those words mean. That's where he needed help. And so we continue the story. Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. And it's a quote from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Verse 34, look at verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself? Or someone else? Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? You see, this man understood the meaning of the words, but he needed help in interpreting the significance of those words. He was trying to figure out how the... Watch this, this is so good. Look up here for a moment. He was trying to understand, how do the words of Isaiah from the Old Testament, how do those words apply to my world today? You know what Philip did? Philip built a bridge between the words of Isaiah in the Old Testament and his world today. Look at the text. He showed him why why this scripture was significant. Verse 35, look what Philip did in verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture... With the very words the man had been reading. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip helped to build a bridge between the words of Isaiah and the world of the Ethiopian eunuch. That is the quest of interpretation. To stand in the author's shoes and ask, what did this mean to him? To the author. We ask that question before we ever ask, what does this mean to me? Make sure you write that down. So we're, we're trying to, in interpretation, we're trying to stand in the shoes of the author. What does this mean to him? Before we ever ask the question, what does it mean to me? Now, in the academic wor- world, we call this process hermeneutics. You can see it there on your screen, and hopefully those watching online, uh, you've got it on your screen as well. Let me give you some definitions of hermeneutics. These are are all very good. I'll tell you the the one that I kind of land on here in just a moment. But here's the first definition. Biblical hermeneutics is the study of the principles and the methods of interpreting the Bible. Hermeneutics is the study of the the principles and the methods of how you interpret the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one of... Approved, a worker who correctly handles the truth. The process of hermeneutics allows you to correctly handle the truth. The purpose of hermeneutics is to help us know how to properly interpret and understand and apply the Bible. Here's the second definition. Hermeneutics is the science and art of biblical interpretation. It's science because it follows certain rules. It's art because it's a skill that one develops with practice. So this is just another definition. 
the science and art of biblical interpretation. Here's my definition that I would give you. Hermeneutics is the process, and, and I deliberately underline that word process. It's the process that we use to discover what God wants us to take away from the text. When the author wrote those words, they meant something to the author. What does it mean to him? Then you're asking the question, what does it mean to me? So what is it that God wants me to take away from this text? If I'm reading Ephesians chapter 4, what is it that God wants me to take away from the text? Hermeneutics is the process of discovering what God wants you to take away from the text. In other words, the goal is to understand the meaning of the words and the significance of the passage. Write that down. The the goal is to understand the meaning of the words and the significance of of the passage. So that's the first basic question. What is, uh, what is inter- uh, interpretation or hermeneutics? Here's the second question. Second question I want to deal with is, why do we have to go to so much trouble? We live in a different era that the authors lived in. So the reason that we have to dig in so deeply, the reason we have to go to so much trouble is because we live in a different era. Our world is vastly different. From the days of the New Testament. It's even more different from the days of the Old Testament. Time and distance have thrown up barriers between us and the biblical writers. Which block or sometimes at least hinder our understanding. We don't do things the way they did in the Old Testament. We don't live the way they did in the New Testament. We don't even speak the same language here in America that they did back then. So, so time and distance has thrown up some barriers. And there's three primary barriers that we always have to deal with. Three, when we're taking the, the Word of God and we're opening the Word of God to any text, there's three primary barriers that we always have to deal with. Three hurdles we always have to overcome. And here's they are. here they are. The first one is a language barrier. The Bible, as you well know, was the Old Testament written in Hebrew and Aramaic and the New Testament written in in Greek. There are shades of meaning in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek that we don't see in our English translations. And so that's one of the barriers that we have to deal with. It's just a language barrier. In other words, the, the text was not originally written in English. Not even the King James English. And so we have this barrier that we have to overcome. The second barrier that we have to overcome is what we would call the cultural barrier. The cultural context shapes the language that's used. The reason the author used the language that he did was because of the culture in which he was living. So he talked about agriculture, or he talks about government, or he talks about religion or transportation, and all of those things shape the words that he used. All of this is under the umbrella of divine inspiration. I'm not trying to take away from the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in any form or fashion. But let's just imagine, let, let me say it to you this way. Let's just imagine that we're somehow able to write a letter back to the Apostle Paul. If we could somehow travel back in time and send the Apostle Paul a letter. Do you think he'd have a little problems understanding what we're talking about? Even if we just said one little sentence, like, the pastor left the church in his truck to go to the convenience store to buy a Pepsi. 
There is not a person here that would have a problem with that. Nobody would say, I wonder what he meant by that. Nobody, there's nothing about that sentence that that you would misunderstand. But there's almost nothing about that sentence that Paul would understand. Why? Language barrier. Cultural barrier. If we were to write to the Apostle Paul and talk about the Super Bowl or about Southern Baptists, Paul would say, "What what are you talking about? Now, so the Apostle Paul wrote about things in his world that made sense to him. And when we read about it in 2021, it's like, we don't do that. We don't live that way. We don't talk that way. We don't even know what that place is. So we've got these barriers that we have to deal with as we're trying to understand the text. The language barrier, the cultural barrier, and then the third one is the literary barrier. The Bible is one book, but it's made up of many different literary genres. And they're very diverse. The different genres of the Bible are very diverse. And they demand different approaches. For example, you can't read the Song of Solomon with the same cold logic that you would read the book of Romans. Or you likely don't read the parables in the same way you would read the book of Galatians. Or you wouldn't probably read the Psalms and study the Psalms in the same way you would study the Gospels. And so we have these literary barriers that there are different genres in the Bible. And we're trying to understand what kind of a genre is this and what does it all mean? Now, before you get too called up in, wait a minute, why are you talking about all this genre stuff? Let, let me tell you something. I don't know if you still read a newspaper. I, I don't. I don't. I, I can't remember the last time. Well, I can remember the last time I bought a newspaper. Once a year, I buy a newspaper on uh, right before Black Friday. So, on, right, I guess Thanksgiving Day. I, I buy, that's the only time I ever buy a newspaper anymore. But I remember buying newspapers. And I remember reading newspapers. You would not read the front page the same way that you read the comic section. You would understand that the front page is is serious information, serious news, and the comic section is not. You would understand the distinction between that, right? And you would not read the comic section with the same way that you would read the obituaries. There are different genres in the newspaper. And you approach what you're reading differently based on what it is you're reading. It's all the newspaper, but there's different genres in the newspaper. It's the same in the Bible. There's all kinds of genres in the Bible. We'll talk about that in a moment. And they're very, very different. And we need to approach it with an understanding. What what is the genre of this text? Now, I think this would be a good time for me to pause and to remind you that anyone can read the Word of God. Anyone can read the Word of God and benefit from the truth that is there. What I don't want you to leave here thinking is you have to be a seminary student in order to really understand the Bible. That's not true. I want to say it again. I don't want to say it because this is on my heart. I want you to hear me say this. You do not have to be a seminary student in order to read and understand your Bible. I love the stories of people whose lives have been changed, who have never picked up a Bible, but they picked it up in a... Uh, in a hotel and they read the Gideon New Testament and they got saved first time they ever read the Bible. I've told you this story before, but some of you won't remember it, so let me tell you again. There's a guy, they were, the Gideons were handing out New Testaments and the guy uh, came up to the Gideon and when he gave him the New Testament, the guy says, I don't believe this stuff. If you give it to me, I'm just going to tear the pages out and I'm going to roll it up and I'm going to smoke it. And the Gideon said, I don't care what you do with it so long as you take it. And he said, but I would ask you to do this. Just read it before you smoke it. And so the guy 
later got saved and he gave this testimony. He said, I smoked my way through Matthew and I smoked Mark and I smoked Luke. And when I got to John 3, I got saved. And I guarantee you, he never had a seminary course on how to read the Bible and how to interpret it. But the Holy Spirit of God is able to take the Word of God and speak to our lives. Can I get an amen to that? I brought my dad's Bible. My dad gave me this Bible in 1992, about eight years before he died. And I don't know if you can see it from where you are. This Bible is worn out. My dad didn't have a seminary degree. My dad didn't even have a college degree. My dad didn't even graduate from high school. But my dad knew his Bible. So I don't want you to ever leave here thinking, I've got to be a seminary. If I don't have a seminary degree, I can't understand the Bible like Keith. No, you can. You can. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Bible is a unique book, and I'll tell you one reason why. One of the reasons the Bible is a unique book is that we can talk to the author. All of us can. So, before we leave tonight, let me give you a very brief, very quick overview of the hermeneutic principle, or the hermeneutic process, I should say, and then we'll unpack those the next time we come back. And so, I've got nine minutes, so we've got three minutes for each one of these. Here we go. You ready? There's three steps in the hermeneutic process. There's three steps. Here's the first step. Number one, study the language. Study the language. When we're talking about the process of hermeneutics, the process of interpretation, the place you need to start is just study the language. Study the words. Study the sentences. Study the syntax that's used in the text. Because words make sentences, and sentences make paragraphs, and paragraphs make chapters, and chapters make books. So you've got to start with a small level. What does that word mean? If you want to be a good interpreter of the Bible, you have to be a student of the languages. And I know some of you will say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, you just said we don't have to have a seminary degree, but I've never studied Greek or Hebrew. So how can we study the words? I want to tell you something. There are lots and lots and lots of resources that you can get to help you study the languages. Um, for example, here is Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. This is just one example, one tool that's available to you. There are Bible dictionaries. There are commentaries. Make sure you're writing these down, and then I'm going to tell you where to get them. Bible dictionaries, commentaries, interlinear Bibles, lexicons. Here's, here's a manners and customs of the Bible. Here's a Bible dictionary. You say, well, Keith, I don't have that kind of library, and I wouldn't even know what to go buy. Here's the wonderful thing about the world in which we're now living. It's all online for free. It really is. It's amazing. Let me give you two places. Look here. Write these down. Blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org. And BibleWebApp.com. BibleWebApp.com. So study the languages. Use these resources. They're absolutely free. And, and you don't have to have a seminary degree to understand them. You can look up words. For example... If you're studying Ephesians 5.1, and Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. What does that word imitators mean? Well, go to blueletterbible.com, type in imitators, and it will give you a, a definition of that Greek word. What does the phrase in, in Philippians, Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that phrase mean? Well, go to biblewebapp.com and type in that phrase, Hebrew of Hebrews. You'll find out what it means. So step one is study the languages. Look for key words, look for key passages, and dig into those things. 
Step two is this, investigate the background. Investigate the background. And here we're talking about the cultural background, the the cultural text and context. So investigate the background. Seminary professors typically refer to the study of, of biblical culture as biblical backgrounds. I've taken whole courses in, in college and seminary on biblical backgrounds. Basically, you're trying to discover the culture, trying to understand how they did things. What are the manners and customs of the Bible? How did they live back then? And there's whole courses that you take on those kind of things. But here's what I want you to understand. Listen to this. These are not fictional people that we read about in, in the Bible. These are real people and real places and real events that existed in a real society and they have an historical context. So if you're going to rightly interpret the Bible, you need to investigate the background, study the culture. Helps you understand why people did what they did and why they said what they said and why they went where they went. Study the cultural background. Example, Luke chapter 7 we were not going to turn there, but I preached about it this morning. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus said to, to uh, Simon, I said, Simon, ever since I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, you didn't give me a kiss, and you didn't give me any oil for my head. Now, if we're reading that in 2021, and we look at that and say, what in the world is he talking about? But if you, if you do a study, if you investigate the background, then you understand what those processes were and why they were done and what the point of that was. Resources uh, that will help you investigate the cultural background are these. I'm going to give you three. Resources that will help you investigate the cultural background are atlases. You You can look up maps, study maps. It really will help you understand the text. Bible handbooks. Bible handbooks help you to understand the manners and the customs of the Bible. And, of course, Bible commentaries. All of those are available online for free. Here's step number three. Step number three is evaluate the genre. Evaluate the genre. Uh, Here we're looking at the literary context. The genre simply means the type of literature that you're reading. What is the literature that I'm reading here? We deal with genres every day. As I said, as I told you about the newspapers, every day you read the newspaper, you're reading different genres. So don't let this worry you. When you come to the Bible to interpret a text, you have to ask the question, what type of literature is this? It's a basic question. What type of literature is this? Knowing what kind of literature you're reading helps you to understand and make sense of the text that you're reading. Um, Now, one of the questions is, how many different genres are there in the Bible? How many different types of literature are there in the Bible? And the answer is, it depends on who you ask. Uh, Some say that there's six, some say that there's seven, some say that there's eight, some say that there's nine. One guy says that there's 14 different genres in the Bible. We're, next time we come together and we start talking about genres, in six or seven weeks, whenever that is, uh, when we do get to that point of talking about the genres of Scripture, we're probably going to focus on six, maybe even four. What are the four basics? We might broaden that to six. Uh, let me say this and make sure you hear this. It's, it's sometimes hard to, to know for sure what type of genre you're looking at as you're reading Scripture. And part of the reason is because some books have several genres within that book. There's different types of genres within that book. And, and some genres are disputed. For example, 
we won't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, the question is, if you're trying to determine the genre of that scripture is, is this narrative or is this poetry? Genesis 1, is that narrative or is that poetry? Why does that matter? Because if it's narrative, it might be literal. If it's poetry, it could be figurative. So is this narrative or is this poetry? So, so scholars who come to study the text like that, they're looking at the genre to try to understand, do we interpret this as a literal thing or do we interpret this symbolically? Now, in case you're wondering, I believe it's narrative and I believe it's literal. I really believe there, liter- there literally was seven days of creation. But that's just an example of how genre influences how you interpret the scripture. Um, let me end with this scripture. and I, I read it earlier, but let me say it again. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. I always want to be a pastor who correctly handles the word of truth. So let me give you some homework to help you learn how to do that. To help you learn how to do it better, I should say. To correctly handle the word of truth. Over the next six or seven weeks, I would ask you to do three things. Number one, study the language. When you're reading a passage of scripture, study the language. Just look up words that seem to be key words in the text. Get online. Look up some of the key words that you find in the text. Get used to doing that. Study the language. Number two, investigate the background. Try to understand the cultural context of the scripture that you're reading. Number three, evaluate the genre. Try to discern what type of literature you're reading. Maybe you'll do one of those a week. Maybe you do all three, however you want to do it. But try to do those three things. And don't forget to use the online resources. Here's here's my last encouragement to you. Just work the text. Don't just read it. Work the text. Because here's, here's the eureka moment. When you finally get into the shoes of the author. And you begin to see what he sees. And you begin to think what he thinks. And you begin to feel what he feels. All of a sudden the light bulbs go on. And it's like wow. And I hope you'll find that to be true. As you study scripture. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And good night.